Welcome to the Decent Crypto Podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 8th. We are live from New York City. Matt, today is... It's Testnet Merge Day. Testnet Merge Day. Let's go. For the non-nerds among us who don't know what we're talking about, the merge is happening today on Ropstein Testnet. The Ropstein Testnet. Uh, quick question. Do you know what Ropstein is? Like, what, are, what is, what's the word mean? Generally, Ropstein? Uh, no idea. If I had to guess, a small town in Germany. Ah, it's a, it's actually a neighborhood in Sweden, so you're, you had the continent kind of Dude. right, yeah. And I was basically right. Um, so it's a, so all of the Ethereum test nets are named after um, subway stations. Oh, cool! So Rinkeby, uh, yeah, also is a subway one. station. Yeah, uh, where is that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, Coven? Is not, this is not a geography podcast. Okay, <laughs> it's a goblin podcast. I think Kovan may also be in Sweden. Okay, um, I, but I'm not. You know, uh, uh, the listeners are the listeners have already dropped off. Yeah, we, we told him. We told him it was now. about. We're talking about test nets. They were like, right, <laughs> yeah, pass. Yeah. Test nets. Not falling for this one <laughs> yeah, again. Exactly. <laughs> so um, Matt, we're here. We're gathered on June 8th. This was supposed to be the original date of the merge, right? Or <laughs> right one of the now. original dates. It was supposed to be February, and then well, it was supposed to be twenty seventeen. February of which year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to happen in like twenty seventeen. Then got pushed back by a couple of days, and now it's happening <laughs> sometime next year. Maybe I don't know. Uh, do you know how the pushback mechanism works? There is a difficulty bomb. Yeah. What What does that mean in practical terms? So the difficulty bomb is, I have no idea. Really. Uh, I, I do have an idea. It's something to do with um, when the like the difficulty gets adjusted, right? Yeah. Uh, for uh, like producing a new block in the current proof of work chain. Yep. Uh, on Ethereum. Yeah. So that difficulty adjustment just gets pushed back. So the difficulty bomb is like a massive, like hard coded increase to the difficulty, and uh, maybe we should define difficulty real quick for okay, yeah. our for our listener. Um, so, uh, do, do you want to take this one? Yes. So difficulty is something that exists in proof of work only, right? And this is actually a really good segue because Ethereum currently is a proof of work blockchain, right? So the way that new blocks get put into the chain is miners are uh, <clears throat> solving some kind of code. They're, they're basically processing transactions. They're adding them to uh, blocks or they're creating blocks. And then they are like solving some kind of computational problem. Uh, whoever solves that first gets to be the one that adds that block to the chain. And uh, for doing that, they get rewarded a fee. Uh, previously, they used to get a uh, like a block producer fee, uh, like a block reward. Uh, now that reward gets burned, and instead they get uh, tips from anybody who is uh, processing transactions. So they get uh, rewarded. They still get rewarded, but not in the same way. They get rewarded by uh, the users kind of more directly themselves. There, there's definitely still block rewards in proof of stake. Uh, Oh, I meant the current, like after EIP one five five nine. They they don't get the gas burned? fees, but they okay, still okay. they still get a block reward. Yeah. Okay, okay. So this looks like inflation for the Ethereum token. Mm. Um, 
So uh, so now, real quick, let me let me uh, tie a bow on this. So that whole process of them solving this computational problem, that is where the difficulty comes in, right? There is a like programmatically defined difficulty of how hard it is to solve that computational problem, right? So <clears throat> I know more about how like this works in Bitcoin proof of work, right? Same, you have same concept. To, same concept. You have to basically... Uh, you're solving for this thing called a nonce, right? You take like all the uh, transaction data and the block header, you add a nonce and you hash it and you're looking for this output that uh, has what's called like these leading zeros. So like your output is gonna be this like massive uh, number and you want that number to start with a certain amount of zeros uh, in front. So it'll be like zero, zero and like 16 zeros or whatever. Um, that is the difficulty. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so the mm. idea is uh, like because this hash function is kind of random, uh, you need to kind of guess and check more nonces uh, right. to get one that starts with a certain number of zeros, right? Mm. Uh, if you're looking for one that starts with one zero, like, and there's, you know, say nine digits, you have a one in 10 chance of that happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that you have to adjust the difficulty uh, to, you know, like, why, why do we have difficulty? We have difficulty because we don't want blocks to be produced in like too fast, right? right? Uh, why? Why not? That is a good question. Why not make the blocks happen more often? Uh, well, because let's see, because you want otherwise you wouldn't be able to reach consensus. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So uh, it's like a bandwidth latency thing, right? Where mm. you need every block to sort of propagate out to the network uh, before the next block can get added. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you would have like difficulty reaching consensus. And so the whole reason to have difficulty is as new giner, as new miners join the network, mm -hmm. each of them is kind of contributing their own hash power to solving these problems, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, real and quick, so if, what is hash power exactly? Right. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So let's just define that. So as each of these, um, like to solve that problem, you're adding that nonce to that transaction data and that block header. That what you're doing, you're then combining all of that and you're hashing it, right? So that's one hash. Right, so you're actually like hashing that, and you're trying to solve for that output. Yeah, you hash it. You check the output to see if it starts with a certain number of zeros. Does it have those zeros? And if it doesn't, you like change the the nonce change value. The nonce. You just add one to yeah. it or whatever. It'll literally just be like do anything you want, right? It's like random. Yeah. So you just try another thing, try yeah. another thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so each of and those does, is a hash, right? Yeah. And how and like what's the measurement that we're using now for hashes? Like how many hashes are happening on the network? Uh, are we measuring in terahashes We're per second? We're measuring in terahashes per second. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So um, I don't even know what a terahash is. Like, what is a terah? Like, what unit is that? It's like. Well, it used to be worth about 120, but now, <laughs> now it's worth. <laughs> uh, so no, I think uh, what what is it? It's like uh, about a thousand giga. So a thousand giga. And a, a giga is what? Like, is that a million? That's a prefix for a million things ish uh and so uh, a terra is a billion um sure so uh it's not really important like the the main idea is it's if massive. twice if twice the number of computers joined this network uh then you would be able to find that solution on average in about half the time yeah right just because it's just like checking random numbers mm -hmm. right uh and so uh as like 
hash power uh, increases or decreases, you need to decrease or increase the increase or decrease the difficulty accordingly mm-hmm. um, to make it so that the blocks are still produced roughly every however many seconds. So right. in Ethereum right now, it's it's about fifteen. Okay, is the target right? Gotcha. Um, so that's uh, that's that's difficulty and all that. And the difficulty bomb, the way it works is, it's a manually hard coded increase in difficulty. I see. So the the sort of crux of it is that difficulty is only important for proof of work because it just changes the you know number of hashes mm-hmm. that need to happen on average before you hit before yeah. you get a new block. Um, right. But in proof of stake, it doesn't matter because you're not hashing at all. I see. So um, they hard coded this difficulty bomb to increase the difficulty by like is it like a massive. Increase? I, I want to say it's like a, cha- a parameter that measures change. Okay. So it's like an increase. Like I, I think it's linearly increasing, but it might be I exponential. See. Okay. You can actually see at times when like this hit before, uh, like the first couple of times the difficulty bomb hit, people weren't really like paying attention or ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there were times when people forgot. Uh, and uh-huh. so, uh, like you can see actually in the data that like block time slowed quite a bit, ah, uh, interesting. like in the days following a difficulty bomb. So it's not like it completely halts it entirely at that point, yeah. but it slows it down substantially. Okay. Uh, so, and you know, now people obviously notice and like keep track of it. And so, you know, we, we've been doing, like, we've been like pushing it back. Right. Um, you know, like well ahead of when the difficulty bomb strikes. Yeah. Okay. Last one that they scheduled was scheduled for I want to say June or July 2022, mm-hmm. uh, so right around now, mm-hmm. uh, and I believe it's been pushed back to Q3. Um, August is the latest thing that I heard from August. Vitalik. Yeah, um, uh, I so, actually do think the last time they pushed it back was supposed to be today, June 8th. Hmm. Interesting. It was, it was supposed to be today. Wow. I thought. Huh. I, yeah, I might, I might be wrong. What on a that. day. Our one listener will check us. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, okay. So the 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 whole, whole how do we get how do we get here? Um, Difficulty bomb. Yeah. Why were we? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's that was like the reminder, the you know posted note on the door, mm-hmm. like hey, don't forget we're planning on switching a proof of stake. Yeah. Uh, don't just forget about that work stream, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then this sort of note to self has just been getting kicked down the road right. uh, forever. Um, you know, six years now. Uh, <laughs> like it, it was, it was part of the plan, I believe, when Ethereum mainnet launched in the first. Basically, place. since inception. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Vitalik has been talking about this, writing about this for like since 2016, 2017, since I've been following. Yeah, I mean, I think it was even part of the protocol at launch time. Some uh, like major crypto company CEO tweeted out recently, like word for word, he was like. Oh, I just assumed the whole this whole time that Ethereum was a proof of stake chain. I had no idea it was even. <laughs> like, just to point out how long this has been a narrative, right? Forever. So, I think we've laid the groundwork yeah. a little bit, right? We're moving from proof of work to proof of stake. Proof of work, we've laid out how it works. You have actual hardware that's going into uh, creating these hashes, uh, fighting for this kind of. Uh, you know, to be first place in this computational uh, challenge, and uh, the winner gets rewarded. Uh, you know, there's a difficulty mechanism in there. We're moving away from that. We're moving to what is called proof of stake. What is proof of stake, Matt? Um, good, good question. <laughs> uh, so uh, the way the way that to think about 
uh, comparing proof of work and proof of stake at an economic level, I, I find it very like intuitive. So mm-hmm. um, proof of work, uh, the reason that like people can't just like attack the blockchain by sending malicious blocks or forking the chain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really the whole the whole idea behind attacking a blockchain is like, making it so that people can't reach consensus. Okay. A blockchain exists to reach consensus. Got it. Like decentralized consensus. So both of these so, things, proof of work, proof of stake, they're both ways to reach consensus. They're both ways to make it expensive for someone to stop consensus from getting reached. Got it. So what I'm hearing is that these are the security mechanisms of the blockchains. Yeah, you would call it the security mechanism or the consensus layer. Both concepts are, are accurate, right? Okay. Um, but the uh, where the notion of security comes in, right, is that like in proof of work, it takes a lot of electricity to like attack Bitcoin today, mm-hmm. like a pretty much infeasible amount, right? Yeah, like in the scenario we just laid out, you would actually have to buy a ton of hardware, set it up expend tons of energy like get the lowest energy cost you possibly could this would take months uh and then you would have to become such a big player that you're actually controlling the transactions that go through the network like theoretically you need you would need like over 50 percent of all the hashes yeah and so that's a a huge just upfront cost for like no reason uh and b a huge upfront fixed cost into an ecosystem that you're trying to attack uh you know is sort of the the idea behind (laughs) like and uh, this is what this is like what's always said about bitcoin bitcoin proof of work is that it's more economically advantageous to be a good actor right like you're incentivized to be a good actor like you'll make more money being a good actor than you will trying to attack the network. Yeah, everything in you know these core, sort of core blockchain ideas is about like incentives. Mm-hmm. And you're right, good acting is incentivized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in proof of stake, it's a little bit different. the The way that proof of stake works is, um, you know, the the way that I would think about like reaching consensus and proof of work is. A, it's expensive to attack, but B, like, there's an, a natural mechanism for controlling the rate at which blocks are created, which is, like, this whole difficulty dynamic, right? right? Uh, in proof of stake, it's a little bit more socially coordinated. Okay. So the way it works is you have validators. Mm-hmm. Um, they're running computers, mm-hmm. right? So let's take, like, a, let's do this, like, not just from, like, a you know, conceptual perspective, but like, yeah. let's say you and I want to be a validator. We, yeah. w- we would need a couple of things, right? Mm-hmm. We would need 32 ETH, mm-hmm. um, and uh, which I'll have soon if Goblin Town keeps going up. Yeah. Uh, and we would need uh, we would need a computer, mm-hmm. uh, and that computer would need to run two pieces of software mm-hmm. in parallel. One of them is listening for something called the beacon chain. Okay. So the beacon chain, you can think of it as like the timer or heartbeat of the blockchain. Okay. It's the place where the validators come together to decide who's going to make the next block. This is in the new proof of this stake This is in proof chain. of stake, yeah. yeah. So um, there's, a, there's a separate sort of chain called the beacon chain. And, and that's live Primarily now. used for orchestration of like a validator activity. Yeah. Uh, that's live now. It's been live over a year. Over a year. Yeah. Um, so the, the way that it breaks down, I don't know like how, de- how deep you want to get into it. But, Let's um, go deep. So the way that the like blockchain architecture breaks down actually changes a little bit. So um, the... The idea is there are things called epo- epo- epochs, epochs, uh, yeah. epochs um, and in each epoch, 
you have something like what is it 32 blocks mm -hmm. uh, they call them slots yeah because the the goal is to someday support more than one blockchain or like a shard and more than one Shards. shard of a blockchain yeah uh, we can get into that later um, and just to note on that the sharding was actually supposed to come first before the proof of stake merge happened that the, the original vision was to have sharding come sometime in 2021 i think right and then have the merge or actually the original original vision was like way earlier than that but even more recently it was still sharding comes first and this this idea of sharding is like you're kind of splitting the blockchain into like these like 64 eventually 64 different blockchains that kind of run their own transactions in parallel and then like roll up to the main chain and they like have used that main chain for security that's been pushed back a long time like sometime next year maybe the year after that so we're focusing on proof of stake now yeah uh, and so sharding is the thing that makes transactions cheaper mm -hmm. and more scalable, uh, whereas proof of stake makes it more like eco-friendly. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, like sharding a blockchain is still very much like a bunch of unanswered questions there. It's right. like still kind of a research topic, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely years out. There are uh, a couple There are a couple other L1s trying this, like, like near. Yeah, near, uh, is, near is really the most advanced Harmony. I think, in terms of their attack. Yeah, Harmony. Harder to say. Uh, <laughs> uh, DeFi kingdoms enjoy your. <laughs> um, I mean, I would think of it separately from something like Avalanche, but yeah. I, the basic idea is the same. It's just make it more scalable, have more blockchains that can talk to each other. Right. Um, but uh, the so don't confuse that, though, with the Ethereum proof of stake uh, architecture. So the, Yeah, these are completely separate things. Yeah. So the idea is there's one blockchain uh that's called the beacon chain mm -hmm. it's where all the orchestrators come together to like agree on like who's going to make the next block basically and then to like cast votes as to like what was the last thing that happened um so we'll, we'll break that down a little bit there's epochs in each epoch there are 32 slots mm -hmm. that's 32 mm -hmm. uh and someday in the future you'll be able to have blocks for multiple shards happening in each slot and so each slot is like just a, a period of time right like a turn uh, but right now the, you know, we're just doing it with like the one ETH like main chain. Mm -hmm. Um, and so at the start of an epoch, there's like a key thing that gets run, which is this like pseudo random, uh, algorithm, uh, which is assigning block producing privileges to subsets of miners proportionally based on how much they've sticked. Interesting. So if you and I stake 32 ETH, mm -hmm. we're, all, we're very rarely going to get chosen as like a, a validator for the next or as a block proposer for, yeah. the, for the next 32 slots, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, the like that, that's sort of like at the start, it's something called Randau, I think. Um, and that's like a really important part of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, so for each slot, for like each new new block that's getting produced, there are two things that are that get chosen. One is a, a block proposer, okay, and one is a committee of people that sign off on it. Okay, so um, you get incentivized a lot to be a block proposer, but if you're included in a committee, you get you do get incentivized for voting as to whether or not you think it's valid. I see. So if someone proposes a malicious block or whatever, um, a they're going to get some of the ETH that they have staked taken from them. Okay. Uh, and B, you're going to get a little bit more as a person that voted to say, no, 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 this one's not legit. Okay. So let's unpack this just a little bit more. This is kind of the core mechanism for incentivizing 
proper behavior, yeah. for lack of a better word, right? So you put up some capital. Mm-hmm. You have staked, you have some stakes, some yeah. skin in the game. Yeah. So when you said you put that 32 ETH in, that 32 ETH is for this new ETH 2.0, like this proof of stake chain. ETH, uh, the 32 ETH is the minimum amount required to become a validator on the new chain, right? Once you do that, you are putting up that 32 ETH kind of as almost like, uh, I hesitate to use this word, but it kind of is like your collateral to, to like participate in becoming a validator. Because the reason it is collateral is because if you do anything that uh, is uh, malicious, like you mentioned, you can have that stake taken away from you. Yeah, right? there, there are penalties it, for acting There are badly. penalties. Yeah. Um, you know, there are penalties. One of the mechanisms is called slashing, right? Uh, where if you uh, behave inappropriately, you start, you try to... Uh, say you try to, say you sign two conflicting transactions okay. or two conflicting blocks, mm-hmm. right? At the same block height, at the uh-huh. same block number. Uh, that's like a very bad offense mm-hmm. because it, you're basically signaling that you want to support a split in the chain, two yeah. different realities, mm-hmm. which is like not, not okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that That's like a really bad one. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the reason this is bad is like you might be... Uh, trying to produce a block of like perfectly valid transactions and then at the same time trying to produce a block of uh, transactions that like spend some of those outputs from that other block and send them all to you. Something yeah. like that. Well, I mean, you could never really get that one through because it wouldn't have the like proper signatures to, to be like valid transactions. Sure. The bigger issue is that you're fucking with the ability of the protocol to reach consensus. Okay, I see. So it's it's more just not even that you're trying to be a selfish actor. It's more just saying like, look, man, you're not following the rules of the consensus anymore. Uh, you need to be penalized. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I see. Uh, and given that there's, you know, I'm sure there are edge cases, right? I'm sure there are tons of corner cases where like there is an economic incentive to for to try to you know make it harder for the network to reach consensus. Mm-hmm. I don't think like. Uh, I don't think it's a strong enough economic incentive to be worth even attempting mm. because when you get some of when you know when you get slashed when you get that penalty the ETH that's taken from you gets given to whoever calls you out on it so um, yeah. that, that's kind of the idea okay I see um, interesting so it, like with these committee things I think the idea is more that like someone proposes a block and then everyone else has to check to make sure that all the transactions are valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that's really what you're signing off on is the, the validity of this as, as a good next block. That it's not just like corrupted data or something. Okay, right? I see. Um, so, so this is still, though, the, the, the core mechanism for incentivizing proper behavior, right? Yeah. So just like there's an economic cost to attacking proof of work, it's mm-hmm. the hardware and the electricity. In proof of stake, the economic cost is that you get your your collateral slashed. Mm. Okay. Now, let's talk about a risk of this, which is that if somebody acquires so much stake that they can just kind of propagate whatever they want, right? Like, it becomes a lot easier to do that. Uh, Yeah, but you still face a similar issue, which is like, there's the you know the incentives are not aligned there right like you would have to take a huge off-chain short in ethereum or something and then you may not even be able to settle that right if there's like a fork in the network okay so you're saying like okay let's play this out everybody talks about coinbase right it's like coinbase owns the most amount of stake outside of lido 
uh, and we'll get into this later on, but like just playing out this, this scenario, if they become so big, they take like 55% of the stake or whatever, right? And they just start like <clears throat> basically doing whatever they want on the Ethereum network. Mm-hmm. The other 45% will basically fork the chain or something. That, that's what you're saying? Uh, I mean, the, the bigger risk is that Coinbase starts signing. So say we're at block number 1 million. Uh-huh. And Coinbase has chosen to be like block number a million and one. Mm. They can propagate two different blocks. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. They can like, or they can go back in time and vote for a different block at the same height that they already voted for. Um, I see. And okay, but like, there's no, there's no like direct economic incentive uh, to fucking with the ability for the network to reach consensus. Hmm. That I can think of. Okay. Like okay. like I said, like maybe a huge off-chain short in the futures, huh. right? I see. Um, but like uh, the sheer amount of like money required to yeah. do that, even today, it's pretty high. Huh. Okay, I see. Um, yeah. And like moreover, like there are certain controls in place to make it hard to like quickly acquire all of the stake in the network. Yeah. So there's like a, you know, you can think of it like an, an on-ramp and an off-ramp. Uh, and there, there are delays there. There's traffic to get into ETH. Um, I don't know if it's still true today, but you know, like a month ago, it was several weeks worth of, uh, worth of like delays to, to even start staking ETH. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And part of part of that is a security mechanism. Mm-hmm. The idea being that like, okay, today we feel pretty comfortable about the validator set being super decentralized, yeah. right? Let's not make it super easy for someone to just swoop in here and yeah, like yeah. start start staking like crazy. Maybe okay. they take out a short term loan or whatever, you know. Uh, so is this you're saying like the amount of time to send your ETH to the beacon chain and yeah. get like beacon ETH? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So when you send it, you get this thing called beacon ETH. Yeah. And you can't do much with it right you can basically only stake it yeah that's the idea yeah uh, beacon ETH is used on the beacon chain to mm-hmm. keep track of balances for for you know proof of stake miners so validators right? yeah right um stakers mm-hmm. uh they differentiate the term a little bit in the like official documentation a staker is like a person uh and a validator has exactly 32 ETH. so if, if right. you wanted to run 64 ETH worth you would actually run two validators mm. uh interesting side note in proof of stake, uh, rewards don't actually uh, what compound. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so you're only you're always effectively earning some APR on your uh, on your thirty two staked ETH, and then you have to take those rewards and you know roll them over into a new validator once you hit thirty two if you want to do that. Interesting. And because of this on ramp mechanism, like it's not going to be easy to compound at least at first, right? Huh. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so actually one of the points I had written is like, why does it take so long to send the ETH over? But It's I think a security function, yeah, yeah. That makes um, a lot of sense. I think right now it's like about seven hours. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we are really, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I saw that and I was like, what? <laughs> this is pretty, pretty weird. I mean, it's um, tricky, right? Because if you stake ETH today, it's a one-way street. Yeah, and exactly. So this is a really important point to mention. You cannot unstake really not yet uh (laughs) when the merge happens to proof of stake you'll be able to unstake the plan i think is like six months or so after the blocks start getting produced Mm -hmm. on the proof of stake chain Mm -hmm. but you know uh there's a lot of there's a lot of execution risk there 
right? Yeah. It's a little bit like investing in a stock almost to the where you have to like, you're investing in a team, you're investing in management. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're buying staked ETH or staking your ETH, you're signaling to the market that you believe that ETH is going to merge to proof of stake before you need that liquidity. Mm. Okay, I see. Yeah. Um, And so you're betting on the execution of the Ethereum community. Yeah. Um, Hmm. And you're getting paid like kind of measly for like 5% or something. It's 4.2% right now. Yeah, I mean, are DeFi yields really that low (laughs) that now people are... (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Um, Do you want to talk about the merge itself or do you want to talk more about the proof of stake? Maybe we should cover the other part of the proof of stake software. So there's one piece of software that keeps you synced up with the beacon chain. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's another piece of software that keeps you synced up with the actual Ethereum blockchain, which is like where you interact with all the users. Mm. So user sends a transaction. It's coming into that process on I your see. computer. Um, it's called the execution layer is okay. what they call it. Uh, but basically you can think of it as like all the stuff that touches the actual Ethereum blockchain happens there. Okay. It's the, it's the business end, right? Uh, yeah. the, the meat of it, uh, the, uh, the brain. So of the all system. the applications get written in there or they get executed in there. Yeah. Think of it as the current, Ethereum, if you're running an Ethereum node today mm-hmm. and you're keeping track of like who wants to transact what and like what happened in the last Ethereum block, yeah, it's all or what's the state of the chain, mm-hmm. um, it's mostly taking place there. Okay, I see. The idea is, uh, if you're proposing the next block, someone you know signs a transaction, yeah, to do something that transaction is going to cause state changes. Yeah. You need to, you need some way of figuring out what those changes are going to be. Mm-hmm. That all happens in the execution. Like, I see. Um, okay. So I maybe misspoke a little bit before the actual, like what was the last block that happens on the beacon chain. Okay. Um, because that's where people organize consensus. So it's called mm. the consensus layer. Okay. Got it. Um, and then there's the execution layer, which got is it. like where you interact with, uh, actual users transactions. Okay. And currently, so is this like the way I'm understanding it, right? Like currently, this is all kind of on the Ethereum virtual machine. Is that like the parallel here? Uh, the Ethereum virtual machine is is just like a set of instructions that you can apply to the Ethereum like blockchain. So okay. um, the the beacon chain, right? It has a uh, you know, it doesn't have blocks. It has slots, like time period. Like a slot here refers to a chunk of time. Okay. Uh, and in each slot, one person gets to propose the next block. Uh, and the vision is in the future, you could have other blockchains that they can propose blocks for too. So other blockchains could have their own like execution engine. Um, it might not be the Ethereum. It might not machine. be the Ethereum virtual machine. It could machine, be like yeah. uh, the one I saw given was like WebAssembly. Uh, machine yeah. or whatever it is. That's, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. If you're, uh, like, the only thing you could possibly make a case for is that it's going to be the, like, Rust-based, like, uh, protocol. And yeah. And for, for Solana. Yeah, exactly. That ain't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So, like, right. yeah. Um, okay. Okay, so, the but the core idea here is it's, like, splitting up the consensus I, layer I guess you and could the think of it layer. as the EVM a little bit. Like, yeah, where you have, like, it's, like, you get the instruction, you apply them on some data, what's the output? Like, that's sort of happening in the, the execution layer. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but it also handles things like, you know, receiving, like, the mempool, all that stuff, Got right? Uh, so most of what miners do today is not, is in that execution layer. Mm-hmm. It's just the actual, like, hashing that gets replaced by 
being chosen as a block producer okay. on the be- uh, by the Beacon Chain. Okay, got it. Yeah. And so right now, with, uh, you know, kind of this Beacon Chain already having existed for over a year, these two, like, separate blockchains, like ETH, like, one, right? Like, the one that exists now that we all transact with, that we buy NFTs with, and then ETH2, which is kind of represented by the beacon chain and this like new kind of like consensus and execution uh, environment, they're both running like in parallel right now, right? Uh, not exactly in parallel in the sense that they interact with each other very much. Like the only thing you can really do is transfer funds from one like ETH1 to like the new, uh, you know, beacon chain and like just keep them there. You can't even transfer them back. But they are both running like in parallel and then the merge like the the thing that we're talking about eventually is this one time kind of thing like it'll happen on one block right it'll happen in one block like it, it kind of it it kind of is happening because eth is being transferred but like in one block like both of those things running in parallel will become just one blockchain yeah, let me break down the mechanics a little yes. bit. Um, so basically, the state of the world today is that we have this beacon chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of there to prove that it can be. Okay. Uh, and it's really primarily there because software developers need to write software for interacting with a beacon chain called clients, right? So the way that you yeah. talk to the beacon chain is through a client software. Okay. Uh, and it's really for people to be able to develop clients that interact correctly with the beacon chain and make sure it's like a, it's not quite simulated, but it's a little bit of a simulation. Okay. Um, so the beacon chain exists to to validate that the staking mechanism is working correctly, uh, and that like the random number generation is working correctly, and all of that. Um, you're right. It's a one-way street today, and the only kind of place that they interact is when you stake ETH from the main chain to the beacon chain. Mm-hmm. Um, the merge works like this. There are uh, there are basically two steps in the merge. Uh, the first step is uh, you, a software uh, update gets released mm-hmm. to all of the clients that interact with the beacon chain, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that software release says something like, hey, guys, it's happening. Start paying attention to the main net, to the, to the proof of work chain, right? Start listening for blocks. Mm-hmm. Just start listening for blocks, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's going to take you know a couple of days or something uh, for people to sync up their clients. Maybe they're a few blocks back. Maybe they need to buy a new hard drive, right? And like sync the sync the chain. Start listening for those blocks. Then there's one more uh, like software update that gets released, and this introduces um, uh, this introduces a parameter into the software called the total terminal difficulty. Mm. So. We talked about difficulty a little bit earlier mm-hmm. in the context of one block uh, like has its own like difficulty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, total difficulty is a slightly different concept. Total difficulty is the sum, the cumulative sum of all difficulty on the entire blockchain. Okay. So every block was solved at a certain number of difficulty. Yeah. And if you sum those, that's the total Whoa. difficulty. Yeah. yeah. So total terminal difficulty is uh, is something that gets like used by the proof of stake validators as the sort of like time when they should switch. So when the when the blockchain hits some amount of total difficulty, uh, that's when they're going to start producing blocks. Okay, got it. 
So uh, initially, you set this way too high, right? Just to like make sure everyone's ready to go. Yeah. And uh, that happened with uh, with Robston a couple of days ago. Okay. Uh, and then like yesterday, I believe uh, they dropped it and they said, "Look, okay, here's where we're going to have total terminal difficulty." And everyone's like, "Oh shit, that's like tomorrow at noon." Yeah. Uh, which is like pretty exciting. Interesting. The reason you can't do block number is because like somebody can submit blocks that like have the wrong difficulty and try to propagate those to the network. And if anyone gets any kind of valid block information, they might accidentally start going off to the races. Oh, I see. Okay. Difficulty. You can't fake that. Mm. Right. So, um, it's, it's actually the amount of work that's been expended per block. That's cool. Yeah. So it's safer this way. Um, yeah, it's wild, right? Turns out these engineers are smart, man. <laughs> <laughs> They're smart, but they have no idea how to write a Wikipedia page because it's impossible to find information on this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so let's talk about what happens to the proof of work chain at that point. Okay. What happens? The idea is that there's no incentive to continue mining right. after you hit a block that's going to put you over that term, total terminal difficulty. Yeah. Because and, of, mm-hmm. and sorry, so just to, just to pause there, right? If that happens, right, and I personally, as a user, right, like let's let's look at this from a user's perspective. That difficulty number has been hit. I'm a user. I haven't actually done anything with my ETH. Like I have this wallet. I never really considered. I never thought about. I have like 0.1 ETH sitting in there. I didn't actually send it to the new chain. I didn't stake it. I have done nothing so far. Like what's happening with my ETH? It just works. Okay. Right? Uh, so you just have to point your MetaMask to a different like RPC node, okay, so that got it's it. getting so... into the mempool for the for the validators rather than the mempool for the miners. Um, Interesting. Because it's like it's on that ledger, right? Yeah. And the the thing that happens at merge time is that the the core thing that happens is that the stakers, the validators, mm-hmm. start making blocks. Mm. And at that point, it ha- it turns into a social consensus yeah. that like, you know, where do, you know, like there was this argument like a while back, like for Bitcoin, big blocks, little blocks, mm-hmm. who has the power to determine the social consensus of which blockchain is valid? Yeah. Is it the miners or is it the users? It's Blockstream. Well, today I would, what? <laughs> Blockstream. <laughs> I, I wasn't paying attention when I read Block Words. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no, just... um, so no, today I would argue that the, uh, that the biggest like power holders in the ecosystem today are the fiat exchanges. Mm. Okay. Or any exchange, actually, like Binance, even though they don't transact in fiat, like still, whichever chain these guys are listening to, that is the that is ETH now. Um, Mm. And so the the key thing that happens at merge time is that the stakers start making blocks, and then it's up to everyone to like figure out their shit, right? And like, are you still going to submit a transaction on? the main or on the proof of work chain Mm -hmm. like probably not because it's not going to count in any way that like you know benefits you right so is there a potential of a hard fork here absolutely uh do you see that happening i i kind of like the more you talk about it i kind of see this happening like i I, don't you see like a cohort of proof of work maximalists just being like look this ethereum is better off this way uh, I mean, I would say I'm one of them. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I Spicy. Think, I just don't think that we've figured out staking yet. Uh, okay. and, and here's my evidence for that. Yeah. If you look at like the, you know, so the evidence against that is that like, look, there's all these proof of stake chains that are operating just fine. But if you look at who they're like being... Like what? 
uh, Avalanche, Solana. Wait, Solana's operating just fine. Sorry, Avalanche or sorry, <laughs> Solana's, Solana's proof like? of uh, proof of history. history. I know. I well, mean, they all have their own like weird consensus. Uh, they have like yeah. Avalanche Tower consensus or whatever it's called, and then there's uh, a well. I mean, the consensus like mechanism there is is their like snowman protocol. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is, it but, is still proof of stake. Yeah, it's uh, it's all like the the next block producer is determined by how much you're staking, right? In yes, all of yes. these things, uh, and the there's they're slashing, right? They're like I'm just being tongue in cheek. I'm just Plus, saying that like this fun? will be the first like big 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 test of if proof of stake can stand the test of all these adverse characters uh, trying to actually take it down. Yeah, um, and so the the core difference between Ethereum and all of these other uh, like all layer ones, some of which have a lot of value on them, right? Like there is you know potentially economic value to be had in taking them down. Uh, the you know like not inconsequentially, right? Uh, so a lot of people will say, okay, look, that's evidence enough, right? There's a lot of value on these blockchains. If if it could be done, you know, if proof of stake didn't work then we would have figured it out by now. Mm -hmm. The issue is there that like in a lot of them like like Cosmos or you know anything tendermint based like Luna um you have like an artificially like constrained low number of validators that you're allowed to have yes. on the network. Same with same with Avalanche and Phantom, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, it cost a million dollars to run a new validator yeah. on uh, on Phantom, mm -hmm. uh, and four million on Avalanche, yeah. because it was like. Um, you know, there's a minimum, you know, ETH, it has it at 32 ETH, which is a lot smaller. Which right? is one of the lowest in, you know, a proof of stake chain. I mean, it sounded absurd during the bull market. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. But, uh, like, so who has that much avalanche, right? Uh, and and I would argue the, and nothing better to do with it than stake. Uh, and, and it's like, okay, someone with skin in the game, right? Uh, it's yeah. a lot of, you know, a lot of these validators are run by VCs or VC-backed companies, mm -hmm. right? Uh, mm -hmm. And they have a lot of skin in the game in terms of not letting it go to shit mm -hmm. uh, and like being a good actor in these systems. Ethereum's proof of stake model is also somewhat different, right? So, so a, you have this like on Ethereum, it's going to be very decentralized. Yeah. In a way that like you really haven't seen in a lot of these other things. Mm -hmm. oh, name a layer one. It's not decentralized. Truly, like you know, yes, it's a spectrum, but no, it's not. It's not decentralized. It's not centralized, but it's not decentralized. Ethereum, just by nature of their much more decentralized ownership, uh, like uh, d dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. um, where like you don't have one party that has twenty percent of the tokens. Mm -hmm. um, you wind up with a much more decentralized like playbook, mm -hmm. right? And so the the coordination mechanism there, like look at Solana, it goes down. They put it, you know, they, you know, they're like validators. Please check the Discord. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, so um, Ethereum is different. It's fundamentally different, right? Just sheerly due to its full decentralized nature. Um, that's one aspect that we haven't seen yet, right? Um, where we could have people with less skin in the game trying to take down the network mm -hmm. right uh you know you could open up a short that would pay off quite well on ethereum with 32 eth if like that was all you know if you just need one dishonest validator then like yeah. shorting's really easy right. uh you know but if you have four million dollars worth of avalanche you probably have 50 million dollars worth of avalanche or avalanche related investments so you really have this like incentive alignment mm -hmm. there um, same thing on Polygon, same thing on Cosmos. 
like there's not a single alt layer one where we've truly seen decentralized proof of stake executed yet. Yeah. Um, so the first issue is that is that like this is much more decentralized. Mm-hmm. Second, and you totally nailed it, much more adversarial, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you're a bad actor, you're acting bad on ETH. Well, here is the reason why. If you act badly on Solana and you manage to steal some funds or whatever, like what happened with Wormhole, right? Like either somebody will make up the money or they'll just reverse the chain, they'll fork the chain, they'll, you know, it's, they'll roll it back. They'll roll, roll back. back. The chain. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, polygons had rollbacks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It, something like that will happen and it won't be as beneficial for you. Uh, Ethereum, people aren't going to roll it back. The chain will not be that rolled back. Genuinely no. known. You can uh, steal hundreds of millions of dollars if you're a bad actor and chain doesn't get rolled back. Yeah. It was um, Axie, right? The, yeah. They stole $600 million. No rollback. Wild. Um, so it is going to be a real test, I think. And that, of, that's because it's more decentralized, yeah, right? Exactly. Because like you, you can't just you, you can't coordinate tens of thousands of people to roll back to all agree to vote to roll back a chain, like you not know, anymore. I think you you know like we saw this happen in the, the DAO, DAO hack, hack right? Yeah. And it was basically just a one man Vitalik suggestion. Um, yeah. But now, even if Vitalik I mean, was, the, it also made the most sense at that point. It did. But, it did. But he, today, you have so many other actors that like have you know that that rely on on ethereum and they might have incentive you know maybe somebody made a million dollar like arbitrage transaction or something like in the 10 blocks since the attack happened like they don't want to roll back mm-hmm. like people it's just sort of understood that like ethereum's not going to roll back yeah so that's the first issue here is this like decentralization like thing uh the the second core issue with proof of stake is that the ethereum like proof of stake architecture with these like epochs and slots it's kind of uh, structured differently from mm-hmm. other proof of stake based blockchains uh, and so that's like a diff that's one more difference right okay. where like even today we're seeing like we saw a reorg on the beacon chain like yeah. last week right yeah and now they're you know we have to play with parameters right in engineering like the more parameters you have well, in physics, right? In physics, the more parameters you have, the less elegant the system, the less likely everyone is to believe that like it's actually the real underlying explanation of the activity you're seeing. Right. The most elegant solutions are the shortest ones possible. Mm-hmm. Proof of work is that. It is super elegant, and it, there's a direct, like, uh, you can draw the line super directly with no assumptions made in the middle and no parameters mm-hmm. required um, between, like, how it works and reaching consensus in a decentralized fashion. Uh, proof of stake is much more like big government, right? Like a lot of a lot of policies, yeah. a lot of complexity. It, it very well will probably work, um, but I I think that like there's a really strong argument to be made by about about maintaining a proof of work Ethereum. The issue is with things like USDC. Hmm. Okay. What is the issue with something like USDC? So if I have a thousand USDC the day before the merge, then on the proof of stake based blockchain, I have a thousand USDC and Circle is probably going to be like, look, the stake chain is the only one that we're referencing here. Mm-hmm. The work chain, those USDC mean nothing. It could take down like quite a bit of like, it'll take down DAI, right? Because all most of their collateral is USDC now mm-hmm. uh, in, in Maker. Yeah. Uh, it'll take down... Ave Compound, all, all of the, you know what I mean? Like uh, Uniswap, like huge, huge numbers of pools are going to go to shit. Um, and this is kind of 
you know, this is kind of an inescapable issue. Uh, Very interesting. Yeah. So this is the, uh, the, the, you know, blockchains, anywhere they touch the real world, it gets messy. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so stable coins are one of them. Right. Well, even not even the real world, right? Like if there was an ETH hard fork or Ethereum hard fork. For some other reason. For, yeah, for, for any reason, right? If that happened. Like, would every ERC-20 token, every NFT that you have also show up on both chains, right? Like, are you going to have two of, yeah, 100%, you know, like, yeah. all the wrapped assets that you had or every other token that you had, right? Like, there's that issue. Yeah. Let, let alone USDC. Um, that's, that's why, you know, that's why I make the argument that, like, it's about the fiat on-ramp and off-ramps. Uh, it's about, is Coinbase going to let you transfer both kinds of ETH? Yes. Uh, and like they will if there's a market for it, right? Yeah. But they're not going to let you transfer from the proof of work chain, you know, probably several blocks prior to the, the merge going in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was my question is like if Coinbase, you know, if they have like, I guess kind of, you know, in a way, irrespective of how much stake they have, but like the more stake they collect, right? They're basically determining which if a hard fork happens, they're determining like obviously which one wins in a way. But even otherwise, like they are, any group that has that much stake is going to have just a lot of control over the network. Are they not like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, me. well, look, they're going to have every opportunity for MEV, right? Yes. Um, it, like that. That's really, I think, a core thing. Um, they're going to have like the ability to, you know, so so super profitable for Coinbase to operate these things because if they want to have, like when you transfer ETH out of Coinbase, mm -hmm. they, you know, they can include that a lot fast, that transaction a lot faster, or they can include it at a lower fee. Yeah. Or if they need to do internal operations, moving some tokens around, mm -hmm. they can include those at lower fees as well. Yeah. Uh, if they're the ones producing the block. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, uh, it, it's just one aspect, you know, just a couple aspects of like, uh, uh, you know benefits that they would gain from this but they have full skin in the game i mean if, if ethereum like actually failed to reach consensus after the merge the the you know it would not it would not be very good for coinbase's valuation right yeah. um, a lot of things would be bad yeah <laughs> name, name, name one merge. thing that would be good <laughs> uh, bitcoin for maxis for, for dance coinbase's. on the graves yeah. <laughs> oh yeah not yeah. for coinbase you can't name a single thing in the world that would be good for coinbase's valuation <laughs> uh, right now no i can't uh, just in general <laughs> <laughs> well maybe maybe you could but you, you don't want to say anything because you yeah uh, yeah <laughs> yeah We've advice. talked about Coinbase far too much this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, um, it, it is interesting. What I find more interesting and complicated is Lido. Yes, Lido. So this is the next thing I did want to touch on is a, a lot of this, just staking in general, right? Staking, ETH staking in general, and uh, Lido is a, a big part of this. Uh, there's so many things to hit on with staking, um <clears throat> first before we move away from merge yeah are you do you feel comfortable with like what actually happens because it's not really like the two chains merge yeah it's just like you're creating a new blockchain that's building off of this block that hit you know this this last block that yeah. people are going to recognize from the proof of work chain 
there, I think I'm there, understanding there is it. No, there's no like, sh- you know, like integration of data. It's just like you and I could do a quote unquote merge today by building a blockchain mm-hmm. that builds off of any given block on the Ethereum proof of work chain. It's just that no one would recognize it. Yeah. Um, but that, But the whole idea is just, it's an on off switch and it's like, once the merge happens, the proof of stake uh, Ethereum blockchain will start making blocks. Yeah, I'm understanding it way more as a passing of the torch than as a merge. Yeah, except you, it, you know, you, they could keep running with this other torch if if people, yes. if people found yes, it economically. Yes. Right valuable. now, you know, like think about it as like a relay race. You know, right now we're in that like little period when like the second runner starts but the first runner is still fully sprinting, you know? But they're, they're still getting the little head start. And then eventually we're going to have the passing of the torch going. Um, but right now they're both running at the same time. Um, I mean, it's even smaller than that, right? Because it's like, I would think of it like a factory, right? You have like one assembly line, you have two assembly lines in a factory, right? Right now uh, you have the proof of work, like assembly line producing blocks, right? Doing their thing. Uh, and then you have proof of stake. Their machines are on. They're waiting. And uh, at a certain point, they're going to say, you know, say there's serial numbers on each mm. of the items that's coming out. When we hit serial number whatever, yeah, we're going to start making them starting at serial number whatever plus one. Mm, okay, okay. And yeah. it's just block production gets turned on. Yeah. That's what the merge is. Okay. The only question I have is transferring over the state right ethereum really is it's a state machine right you're capturing a history of everything that's ever happened like a history of events right so how is that like being is there like any kind of transfer over process or is it basically the same validator set almost right uh you're you're listening for blocks right uh, you listened for blocks up until this exact difficulty period happened, and then you're still just listening for that's, blocks. That's like, the last time you're going to listen for blocks over there. Over there, and, and now, from now on, you're looking over at the other side, and you're like, "Oh, they're making blocks." Okay, I'll, yeah, that's those are the blocks I'm appending now. Okay, blocks are blocks, right? Okay, um, that's that is completely clear to me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now the next question is from a block producer's perspective like what do i need to do at that point like am i if i'm a block producer if i'm like if you're a miner or if you're a validator so kind of both right uh, i'm asking from the perspective of like if i'm like trying to like okay let's say i'm a current miner but i'm like preparing for the merge i'm preparing for many things right like i need to get rid of this hardware i need to actually like run some new hardware i need to get all the eth that uh i have and like start staking it uh i need to then like more like just hands-on like i'm running this software on all these gpus uh you know hypothetically and then i need to start running this new version of the software like you know the beacon chain which i probably have been since last year anyways like what does that process look like from a minor uh, and then an eventual validator's perspective. 
Uh, yeah, so uh, let's take the validator first, right? Um, the reason that you've been running the beacon chain is because you want to start getting these block rewards once you know once the beacon chain starts, you know, once proof of stake starts making blocks. Okay. Uh, and you need to test your software and stuff before that. And yeah, also, yeah. there's like an on ramp waiting period. So th when the merge happens, anyone that's like making a block in that first epoch or like anyone who could potentially make a block is already running the pieces of software that they need to run. Okay. They're running two pieces, right? There's one that is the beacon chain software. Basically, you're listening for it to tell you, hey, man, uh, it's your turn to make a block. Or, hey, man, can you come vote on this block for me? Yeah. Uh, or at the end of an epoch, you vote on, like, finality. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, there's there's two kinds of, like, votes. You can there's, there's three actions, right, or four actions. Produce a block, vote on a block, uh, vote on an epoch, which is like the box in in that epoch, mm -hmm. uh, or like slash someone, okay. like call someone out and like yeah, yeah. you know whistleblow. Um, that's those are the things that you do with this piece of software. I see. Okay, that makes sense. You have this other piece of software that's listening for transactions from users mm -hmm. and like assembling a block yeah. or whatever. They communicate through something called the Engine API. Mm -hmm. um, so you have two pieces of software running on on a computer somewhere. You've already staked 32 ETH, right, to, to make that happen, uh, or to, to join the consensus. Uh, and then uh, and then you're just kind of sitting there waiting for the network to be ready to, and you're sitting there waiting, watching the proof of work chain to, to figure out when it's gonna be time to start making blocks. Okay, I see. Um, that's the validator's perspective. Mm -hmm. The miner's perspective, you're not really sure what yeah. to do now. Yeah, right? yeah. You're gonna keep making blocks until you don't get paid anymore. And ostensibly, you won't get paid anymore after that last, you know, block of whatever total difficulty gets produced, mm -hmm. because that's like a fork in the chain. Like if nobody supports it, then the fork dies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so what do you do? Man, I really don't know. How how do you see this playing out? Like, will it just buy I mean, GPS on the cheap? It's it's interesting because from our perspective, right? Like, it's very easy to think, like, okay, if you're a miner now, you're going to be a validator later. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you, these are two fully different. They're completely different They're either different sets of people, of people or they're yeah. effectively different sets of people because yeah. they have to be doing both for a while anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, but they're probably completely different sets of people. I really think they are. I mean, imagine how many ETH whales are out there who are effectively now just, you know, they're, they're, they're now validators, right? Like, whether they, like... Okay, some of them are just going to be staking, right? But, like, you know, why would you not be a, just become a validator if you have... Yeah, I mean, uh, why, why give a cut to, like, yeah. to like Lido? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Coinbase, and, yeah, right? so there's a little why, bit of why work. Why delegate, right? Yeah, like, uh, there's a little bit of work in, that goes into it, but it's, like, if you're already rich, like, you know, just pay somebody to, pay somebody to set to up it. really yeah. good software um, uh, on your behalf. Yeah, just run um, it in the cloud, right? I mean, yeah. run, it, run it in Coinbase cloud. It's yeah, cheap, yeah. It's cheaper to do there. The reason to run through Coinbase and delegate the entire thing to them is if you have less than 32 ETH. But if you exactly. have more than 32 ETH, you, you should just pay Coinbase cloud, right. keep your server up and running and, and up to date with the latest software upgrades mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Um, now, um, right now I'm looking at the ethereum.org website. There's 400,000 validators uh, right now for the new network. How many do you anticipate uh, there being in the future? 
like in the near future like within the next like six ish months like going into the merge is it gonna be around this number because most of them are already set up do you think or is it gonna be a lot more it's gonna be more right because um like an order magnitude more or just like goes up to like five hundred thousand six hundred thousand I don't remember what the current rate is, like the maximum rate is at which like validators can be created. It's um, 900 new validators per day. 900 per day. And we're at what, 400,000 now? Mm-hmm. Man, there's so well, many. So there's like a math. There's so many moving parts here. in this question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because effectively what you're asking is, when is the merge going to happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, I guess so there's a limiting uh, factor. But uh, but then there's also like this question of like, is appetite going to slow down? Because you look at like Lido, right? And those guys are like operating a DAO with like working capital constraints, right? And mm-hmm. like costs and mm-hmm. revenues, but they can't recover any of that revenue because it's all on ETH2 yeah. for which withdrawals are, are not enabled yet, okay, right? Okay, yeah. Um, they okay, won't even so be able to do it for six months after. So the, yeah. like, is Lido going to go under? So let's get into what Lido actually is. Right, Lido is a staking solution for ETH2, right? It's liquid you, staking. Yeah, exactly. So do you want to get into like the mechanics of how it actually works a little bit? Why they can offer this product, ST ETH, staked ETH, which you can uh, very easily send your ETH in, you can stake it to the new beacon chain, and then you can just unstake it very, very easily while still getting your uh so there's no unstaking involved right okay well it's like a it's like a liquid okay it's, it's sorry like a, it's like a receipt it's like a receipt yeah uh but you can still trade that staked eth exactly yeah it's so like it's tokenized claims on staked ETH, yeah right that's that's uh, what i meant you, you can't yeah. actually unstake your ethereum yeah um <clears throat> so uh so the whole idea was like you know everything's yielding 8 million percent you need more assets why stake when you could like liquid stake yeah. and get a token in return um and you know the tokens should trade at parity early on and then eventually like the value of a staked eth should be higher because these staked eth are like claims on some proportion of the total number of assets mm-hmm. being st- or the total amount of eth being staked by all the lido participants um and so you know that grows with like interest as time goes on so at first it should trade at one-to-one then it should trade at a premium right uh and you know initially it was like i put in one state i put in one eth i get one staked eth out Mm -hmm. now i think if you put in one eth you get like 0.99 or something uh staked eth out um and uh and then you can you know, people can borrow, you can borrow against it. You can do whatever you want. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, can, it's another asset just like anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it's ERC 20. So it's interoperable with all the borrow lens buy sell liquidity provision protocols you can think of and yeah. fully up, op- you know, fully interoperable with DeFi. Uh, but it represents a claim on staked ETH. Mm-hmm. Lido under the hood is actually delegating that ETH to people who are operating validators. Mm. So Lido itself is not operating the machines. Okay. There, there's a DAO, and the DAO votes on who they're going to delegate to. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, you know, I don't know who those people are, to be yeah. honest. But, like, for Solana, like, I was staking through Lido for a little bit, or staking, unstaking, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty uh, opaque to you as the end user. You basically just go to the website and they're like, we'll pay you 4% on your ETH 
and and you get this token so that if you need liquidity, yeah, exactly, you, can you get sell both. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, that that's sort of their their operating model uh, is they take that ETH and then they delegate it to someone who's actually running the validators. Um, and the DAO is here to like make sure that like they're delegating to responsible parties. And so what is the big issue you just called out now, knowing all this context? Like, how can they kind of get screwed uh, by all this? Like, why would they go under? So the, um, the problem is that you need Lido to kind of, like, continue operating. They yeah. need to continue to check that the validators are, are legit, right? They need to continue to, like, do this, like, you know the redemption mechanism where someday after proof of stake happens like um you'll be able to unstake your eth mm. so you'll be able to trade them one lido and get your eth like after however many days right um and so for these guys it's like um I'm trying to think of the right way to put it but uh, you need them to continue to exist mm. uh i don't think it's like a fully automated protocol Okay. Right, uh, and it, it can't be right because people in the real world are actually operating computers. Yeah, uh, and so if Lido fully like if if everybody that works at Lido just stopped showing up to work, yeah, I I think people would have trouble claiming their ETH. Interesting. So the issue is that like in a bull market, they may have raised capital, denominated in ETH or something, right? But, well, no, they actually have an even bigger problem than every protocol that raised money denominated in ETH. Mm -hmm. They raise money denominated in illiquid ETH, right? Yeah. Quite, yeah, yeah. quite a bit of it. Or they have they have liabilities for illiquid ETH, right? right? Um, their revenue model is that they're taking a percentage of the staking mm. rewards. And so they can't get any real revenue until the merge happens. And six months later, they allow you to okay, start unstaking. Okay, then they can actually claim... Yeah, and so I, I just wonder if there is, like, operational risk there. That's interesting. Like, today, the price of... Have you seen the Lido staked ETH to ETH chart? Uh, yeah. It's, it, it was down for a little bit during the whole, uh, like, Luna debacle. Yeah. It, it keeps going down. It is pretty crazy. Uh, Where is it trading at now? It's at, let's see, 1764 on staked ETH. And then Here, ETH. you can. Uh, I think you can denominate in ETH, and it it's trading at about ninety six. Dude, yeah, it's, cents on the dollar. Wow, yeah, you can denominate in ETH. Oh my goodness, it does keep going down. Um, so, do you think they? You think that they have a fundamental problem? I think the market is telling you that they're a little concerned about it. Interesting. Because buying ETH at a three and a half percent discount, right, is like ninety six five or something. Yeah, um, is a pretty substantial discount. Right. Not is. to mention they've been accruing all the staking rewards, right? Mm -hmm. So you get whatever pro rata share of that. Um, but you know, I I think you could take the perspective that Lido staked ETH is like the price reflects people's bullishness on, bullishness on the merge to go through successfully mm. and in a timely fashion. But I think that's the wrong way of looking at it because you can always sell your stake to ETH, right? Yeah. Um, I think the right way of looking at it is this is people sort of gambling on the health of Lido as a DAO. Interesting. Uh, and then also uh, there's like 
this this indicates that people are low on capital right now. Yeah. Because you wouldn't sell your steak teeth at 96 cents on the dollar unless you needed the cash. Yeah, yeah. And the reason we spend so much time on Lido is it's like 32% of all of the staked ETH. Yeah, and so people, a lot of people point out that like, is that a centralization risk, right? Under the current operating model, it's not, right? Because they're delegating all these different validators. Mm-hmm. And it's like pretty transparent. You can see who they're using. Yeah, yeah. Um, versus like Coinbase, I think, is operating their own. So it's yeah, right. m- much more centralized yeah. in, that, in that scenario. Okay, now time to get to... The crux of the episode. Bullish or bearish? Uh, oh, I thought the crux of this one was going to be when merge. Oh, when merge. See, I am not in the habit of asking questions that nobody can answer. Only <laughs> God knows. Uh, <laughs> I'm in the habit of asking questions that you can answer. So, uh, bullish or bearish? Bullish or bearish. Okay, uh, here's where I am. I think that we haven't figured out the mechanics of proof of stake to a like high to a like high enough bar yet uh, to be anywhere close to the merge. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of people are talking about the merge in Q3 or Q4. I'm gonna regret saying this. I would take 50-50 odds that it's 2023 or 2024. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Um, and not like early 2024. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's a bold claim. Like it'll either be like we all decide to fucking like YOLO and like let's go. Uh, or like we uh, or we really get the shit sorted. Um, and I even think in the YOLO let's go scenario, I don't think that happens until Q3 or Q4 of next year. Interesting. So what is the main holdup or main concern uh, from your end? The, uh, like the economic incentives? Is it the tech part? It's the consensus engine and the economic incentives therein. Okay. Uh, and parameters involved there. Like, how are they selected? Like, how do we know that they function under, like... I mean, this happens with Ethereum sometimes, right? Like, there is this culture of, like, we can always change the parameters, right? Yeah. Uh, but it happened more often when Ethereum didn't have so much economic activity happening on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like... You know, like they so they changed the gas prices for certain op codes, right? And like certain EIPs, like two years ago. But that was two years ago. People weren't really like looking at this with the same level of like concern that they look at it today. There's how many billion dollars in TVL on DeFi, right? Yeah. There's like USDC alone, right? Uh, NFTs. There, there's quite a bit of economic activity actually happening on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people with a lot of skin in the game for this to not, like, break. Yes. Uh, to not have a chain roll back, right? Uh, so that's, that's why I'm so concerned or so just uh, curious about a, a hard fork. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that will happen. Yeah, I really do think so, too. Uh, but, al- but also, look, there's... Um, there, you know, there's issues there, like like we said with USDC and all that, right? Yeah. Um, the the reason nothing happens on Ethereum Classic is because there's no there's no stuff there. There's no <laughs> USDC on yeah. Ethereum. There's no maker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, if you lose core like core segments of the ecosystem, like stable like centralized stablecoins, like you know, is there going to be enough economic activity happening to continue to like r- reward using it? It's hard to say. Yeah. I don't know what you do with all these GPUs otherwise. Though. I know. You know? Um, 
It's uh, sounds like you're bearish. I, I I really am. I mean, look, I'm fully fully bullish long term Ethereum. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, if you look at Bitcoin, like this like immaculate conception, it's kind of like the only thing that's managed to play out in a sufficiently decentralized way where you really, really trust it. Yeah. Like, would you trust your life to Solana? Absolutely not. No chance. If if we had like, you know, if we had ER equipment that just went down for eight hours at a time, like you you wouldn't trust it. Yeah. Would you trust your life to Avalanche or Phantom? Like, like no, Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I wouldn't. Um, Would you trust your life to Polygon? Probably not either, right? Like, no. It's slightly less centralized there, uh, but that's just because they've like done a less effective job of raising VC money. So, <laughs> like, it's you know, Ethereum and Bitcoin are sufficiently decentralized that you can really point to them and say, "I trust that this thing will continue to work," um, and that's the core appeal of proof of work mm-hmm. Ethereum, mm-hmm. right? And. I do think that the developer community and research community and all that strong enough on Ethereum that I think proof of stake will someday work. Like I do think there will be a successful merge. Yeah. But looking at the state of research, I don't think we're there yet. I think that's a perfect place to wrap it. Uh, yeah, let's check in on the fucking test net merge. Ah, uh, dude. We got is, six more minutes. This was the first. This was the first test net. Ever. First, first of the year. Oh, nice. Okay. Isn't that like exciting? Well, it's happening in six minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, I'm actually like at the core. I love Ethereum so much. I'm so excited. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not I'm trying in... to come across as bearish with the whole. Like, no, I, I, I totally get your just points and I'm with you. And I also think that it will be delayed. Um, but I do think that they'll figure out proof of stake. I think the concerns we've laid out, I think they're real concerns, but it Man, seems are there, like other gambling markets. Definitely, there have to on be. On the date of the merge? They're definitely. Oh, on the date? No, I doubt that. Oh, man, there should be. Yeah, no, <laughs> we should set an over under. Um, <laughs> I wonder what the fair Gen, market value is now. Gen 1, dude. Gen 1, 2023. Three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This has been The Merge. We will be back later this week with our recap of everything that happened. Till then. Stay decent. Uh, None of this was financial advice, legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice. Uh, If you're looking for advice, you are definitely in the wrong place. Uh, Until next time, stay decent.